0: Hey everyone, this is Caleb and I'm so excited that you've decided to spend a few minutes of your day here with me on the Learner's Corner podcast. And today I'm honored to be joined by Dr. Heather Thompson Day, who has recently released a brand new book called It's Not Your Turn: What to Do While You're Waiting for Your Break- Breakthrough. So we're going to talk with that we're going to talk with her about that coming up in a little bit. But if this happens to be your first time listening to the Learner's Corner, I want to tell you a little bit about the purpose here and really what we want to do here is create a safe place to have difficult conversations because if you've gone throughout life and you know and you're someone who likes to learn a lot or likes to explore likes pushing the the boundaries of what is possible uh, you've probably come across certain people who are maybe not comfortable with that and you've shared your ideas you shared your thoughts and some of the things that you're learning and how you're growing and They did not respond the way that maybe that you hoped that they would, and the conversation did not go super well, either because they were, well, probably because they were afraid of what was happening in some of the ideas that you introduced to them. And so that maybe caused them to respond with anger or with shame and shaming you. For even thinking about those things, or even considering, or why would you learn from this person? But here on the podcast, we truly believe that we can learn from anyone and from everyone and from anything and from everything. Even people that we don't agree with, or even things that we may not agree with, that we can learn from them. And sometimes that is learning from their example of what not to do, and sometimes it is learning from their example of what to to do or what to do. And that. And regardless of that, we truly believe that we can learn from anything and from everything, from anyone and from everyone. And the person that we're going to be learning from today is Heather Thompson Day. Now, let me give you, or before I uh, give you her background, uh, let me share some of the things that I learned from, from her uh, just preparing for the conversation. Obviously, her book It's not your turn, but there's a couple of podcast episodes that I listened to that were really helpful for me and enlightened me and informed my conversation and some of the things that I wanted to talk with her about. There's a couple episodes on the podcast, Theology in the Raw, which is from Dr. Preston Sprinkle. And Preston has been a guest on the podcast before, and we'll link to the episode that he was on. And then,, uh, and then also a conversation with Annie F. Downs that she had on her podcast. That sounds fun. And Annie is not a pod has not been on the podcast, but maybe one day we will be able to get her on the Learner's Corner as well. So those are some of the episodes. I'm going to link to all of those in the show notes in case you're curious or you really enjoy our conversation or you're just a big fan of Heather, and you can go check out uh, those as well. Now, let me tell you a little bit about our guest, Heather Thompson Day Now, Dr. Heather Thompson Day is an interdenominational speaker and contributor for Religion News Service, Newsweek, and the Barner Group. She uh, just recently left her position as being an associate professor of communication at Colorado Christian University. She is passionate about supporting women and runs an online community called I'm That Wife, which has nearly 200,000 followers. Her writing has also been featured on the Today Show and the National uh, Communication Association. She has been interviewed by BBC Radio Live. She believes her calling is to stand in the gaps of our churches for young people. And she is the author of seven books, including this book, which we're going to talk a lot about, It's Not Your Turn and Confessions of a Christian Wife. Now, she also is the host of a pretty new podcast called Viral Jesus, and it's a podcast from Christianity Today about digital communication and the power of connections. And honestly, I haven't had a chance to check it out, but just some of the reviews and some of the guests that she's had on recently, I'm super intrigued by it has made it onto my uh, Spotify podcast playlist. And so as soon as I get around to that, I will keep you updated on some of the things that I'm learning from that as well. So I think that's all that I have. So without any further wait, let's dive into my conversation with Heather Thompson Day. Well, Heather, I'm so excited to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today. I'm
1: excited to be here.
0: Yeah. And just as we're getting started, you know, we were talking offline. I absolutely love uh, just your process for going about writing and how you seem to incorporate so many, um, I like I just really thoughtful in just the research that you do. And so I wanted to ask, what are some of the the books that you've been reading recently that have really piqued your interest or made you think or shift your thinking in terms of some of the stuff that you're learning right now?
1: So I keep a list. So I want to make sure I'm not missing anything. Mm -hmm. Um, But so the last four books I've read have been The Tipping Point. I reread that by Malcolm Gladwell. I read that, I don't even know how many years ago five years ago. And it is so much better this second time around. I am going to probably read everything Gladwell has ever put out. Yeah. Um, I just finished Contagious. I believe that was by Jonah Berger. That was about how, how you create messages that people don't forget.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and then I did Invisible Influence, which is about essentially like 99% of all of our decision making is influenced by Something we have seen somebody else do. Mm-hmm. And so in that book, he talks about how the most autonomous choice that you make is about your toothpaste. Because very rarely do you see somebody else's toothpaste, but almost everything else we we see other people do, and that's how we decide, even if we don't realize it. And then right now I'm halfway through never split the difference.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Which is a really good book on communication. It's written by a former FBI hostage negotiator, and it is I and yeah, I'm doing that one on Audible, and the guy who reads it is just such a good narrator. Highly recommend it.
0: Yeah, I'm I I'm with you. I've read all of those books, and they're incredible. Oh, have you really? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. I'm a, How do we
1: have the same library?
0: <laughs> uh, Are
1: you a communication person? Uh,
0: it's more of like not. Uh, it's more of just a hobby. Like I love learning about that stuff. Okay. I, I just I have a I have a wide variety of interests that I just learned and love learning about. Um I want to go back to the tipping point. What what was the thing that made you go like, oh man, like the first read, tipping point, okay. Second read, like, oh my gosh, like tipping point, amazing, awesome.
1: There's a couple things. And some of it, so I'm doing a bunch of research. I have another book that's due October four. And my it's funny because my publisher was like, how much, I just had a meeting with them last week and they were like, how much of the book have you written? And I'm like, so that's not really, I read about 10 to 12 books before I write one. Mm -hmm. So I am on book number 10 um, and the tipping point was I think number six or or so. Um, But this time through, I was really paying attention because I'm trying to do some research for the next book I'm writing. And I was really blown away by the way Gladwell takes Various theories, but then he and he teaches you about them, but then he'll pull them back up all throughout the other chapters. And I don't write that way. I think I typically will have something that I learned in a chapter and then I talk about it that chapter and then you probably won't see it again. And I want to do better about creating a data narrative where people stay with that data throughout the book. And so that's what I think really drew me in this time was just the way he doesn't just give you research. He teaches you how to write a story with it. I'd like to do that better.
0: That's cool. Uh, and you—you you mentioned, you know, communication. I didn't want to pick your brain on that, you know, okay, as well too. Uh, you have this quote, and it just made me. Uh, or you—you you quote this Business Insider article in in your book. It's not your turn. And it just got me thinking, especially uh, you know, with your experience, you know, being an associate communications professor and everything, you know, and the quote said, uh, you know, good leaders don't just have a single communication style. Uh, And and one of the things that it made me uh, just think about is like we probably all tend to get into our our own lane of how we communicate and everything. And I would just be curious to hear what are some of the the styles of communication that you would say. That get overlooked, and, but mm-hmm. can be just as um, that are just as powerful, or just as um, important.
1: Yeah. So people in and I'm speaking from a United States Westernized perspective. In the West, we really value direct communication, and so we tend to think that those are the best speaker, the best orators, are people who it, it, we call it low context, so people who tell you exactly what they want to say and they don't add in all this filler. But when you, when you look at the research on effective communication, I actually think that there's a great case to be made that non-direct communicators can be more effective. Hmm. Even though, so we have like these U.S. values of tell me exactly what it is and, and don't give me any fluff and that's what I want. But I think the reality, like, for example, I think an an indirect communicator, and by the way, just so people know who are listening, I, I shouldn't assume anything, right? So an, in, a direct communicator tells you more than they ask. A direct communicator says, come in, have a seat. If you were to show up at my office, my natural communication style is direct. If you were to show up as a student in my office, I would say, come in, have a seat. I would di- literally direct you with my words. Non-directors, would ask more than they tell. So they would say, would you like to come in? Would you like to have a seat? It's always presented as a question because you should never assume that somebody wants to do what you're telling them to do. So in the United States, we actually value direct communication and we think that those are the strong leaders. But I just, I don't know. I, I, I think I have had to learn and train myself to become more indirect because I, We have whatever, maybe, and maybe it's because I'm a woman. I actually, this is now. I'm just thinking out loud, but it could be that for me, I've had to learn how to ask more than I tell, so that people will be more receptive. And it could be because of the differences that we place on men and women. I haven't looked into that yet.
0: Yeah, Uh, you know, you mentioned you know more of the asking questions instead of you know giving the direct statement. Is there anything else that can help us be better? Better like better indirect communicators?
1: The best advice I can give anybody, and this is from Never Split the Difference, but it would be the same in any communications article that you would read. And and I say this to my students on the first day, communication people learn how to repeat what somebody else has just said. Because essentially communication is about never assuming. There's a saying in communication, it's message meanings are in people, not in words. So when students say to me, Hey, I said this and my boyfriend said this. Now what? I say, I need more information on who your boyfriend is and how he typically talks, Mm -hmm. right? Because the message is never just in the words because two people can say the exact same words and have very different meanings. The meaning is always in the individual person. And is this a deviation from how they would typically communicate, if that makes sense? Mm-hmm. Um, so you get really good if you you know somebody is either just a naturally good communicator or trained in it when they start repeating back what you've just said. And we actually like people more when they mimic us. Um, so if somebody says to you, I, I just was trying this out the other day because I was um, I had a bunch of issues at the airline. And so when I went to negotiate with them about changing my ticket or have." getting me on another um, flight. I, I did this. So somebody says, there's no more flights today. You say, there's no more flights today. You literally repeat back to them what they say. And then they say, well, there's two, but they're at bad times. Two at bad times? I know it sounds crazy, but when you repeat back to people what they've just said, For whatever reason, their brain becomes more attracted to it and they hear it in a different way and they're able to make flexibility where they typically wouldn't have had you brought your own words to the conversation. So they say, repeat back like the last three words or whatever the main Mm -hmm. point that the person just said to you, repeat it back in a conversation and watch what happens and see how it changes the trajectory of the conversation. And here's a really important thing with that it means you're listening, which changes every conversation. Mm-hmm. If I repeat back to you, that means this message is not about something I'm bringing. It's about me understanding what you are bringing, right? Yeah. And that makes us all feel really good.
0: Yeah. Uh, it, it makes me think of, and this might be a little bit of a leading question, um, but is, the, or maybe just a, I, either way, I just want you to take on it. Do you think direct or indirect communication works because it's it doesn't come across as, as aggressive?
1: I think I absolutely think that's why it can work. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, for me, yeah, I tend to view that stuff as manipulative. Mm-hmm. So that's why I tend to, my natural style is to just tell you what I think. And I want you to just tell me what I think or what you think. Mm-hmm. And when I feel like, somebody isn't being forthright or direct, my brain starts saying, okay, well, what are they, are they manipulating me? What are they trying to accomplish? And now I've had to learn, oh, like some people just really dislike any type of aggressive communication or any type of thing that could be misconstrued as conflict. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, Are there any other things about communication that you've learned recently that you would say, hey, like if if you do this or if you stop, doing this, this is actually going to help lead to, you know, better communication between people, better relationships and that.
1: Yeah. A really good, I'm just trying to give things that people can remember. Um, but a really easy thing. And I talk about this and it's not your turn. Say their name. I just had a meeting, um, with the it department. I'm starting a new job at a new university. And so, um, his name was David. And so I said, hi, David. I'm your 9:30 appointment and we're meeting and then I say, "Oh David, do you know when you say people's names, it creates this sense of relationship." There is actually no sweeter sound to the human brain than your own name and I talk about this in the book how they have there are studies that show people even in a vegetative state show brain activity when somebody says their name. Hmm. So I'm not like, don't be annoying with it, but if you can drop somebody's name at least once in the hallway, when you pass a coworker, don't just say, hi, how are you? And keep going. Say, hi, Caleb, how are you? It will make a world of difference in how that person perceives you. So I would say at every single communication interaction, if you can say their name at least once, that's an important thing to do. And it makes people feel, oh, that person knows me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you met, you mentioned that you've written this book called It's Not Your Turn and Heather I would just love to hear uh I love hearing the story or the series of events that led someone to go, okay, I need to take this thing that I've been thinking about that I've been wrestling about for a while and I feel like I need to put this in the book. So I would just love to hear your story behind It's Not Your Turn. Yeah. Well, <laughs> which I know um, covers a lot of the book. Yeah.
1: <laughs> no, I'm happy. Um I I went through probably about seven years where I really felt like it wasn't my turn and I had to say it out loud to myself. Um, And for me, saying out loud, I know what words do to the brain. So I knew when I said it out loud, it was kind of a way for me to say it and still have hope. Um, But so what happened was I could not get a job in a higher education. I was applying everywhere. Literally, I think I was looking all over the country and I was not getting hired. And I was so frustrated and kind of frustrated with God because I had all this student loan debt. I was in the middle of a PhD program. I had never taken a summer off. I I graduated high school in 2005 and I never took a summer off until I finished my PhD in 2018. Um, So it just felt like I did all the right things. And so why is this not paying off for me? And at this exact same time that I'm so poor, um, my sister's literally dropping diapers off on my doorstep and pretending it wasn't her. And yet I'm teaching classes. I was adjuncting. So I'm standing in front of students pretending it felt like to be something I knew I wasn't. Even though, I mean, I was just teaching my class. I had so much shame. There's so much shame that comes with um, poverty and stuff like that that we don't talk about. But So I was really struggling. And at this exact same time, one of my best friends since third grade, who, by the way, did not make the same educational choices or journey as me, called me. And she said, Heather, you're not going to believe it. And I said, what? And she's like, I just got hired by NASA. And I was like, wow, you, wow, (laughs) right? Like, "Mm." I am so happy for you. And I, and I, I was happy for her. I was just also really sad for myself. And so I just, that was the first time I really just felt like those words, it's not your turn. Okay, Heather, it's not your turn, but it's hers. And how you decide to respond in this moment matters to your friendship and your relationship with her. And so I clapped and I, you know what I mean? And I, I, it was just something I I realized this is important. And so eventually, essentially the entire premise of the book is just this, the decisions and who we are when it is not our turn is actually more important than who you will be when it is, because everybody is willing to hit the podcast button on for 500,000 listeners. Are you kidding me? That doesn't mean that you're creative. That doesn't mean that you have integrity. That doesn't mean that you're driven. Anybody would do that. Everybody gets on stage for people clapping for you. Are you kidding me? That doesn't mean you're special, right? How many people are willing to hit the podcast button on for five listeners? How many people are willing to... When I wrote this book, I didn't know if anyone was going to read it. I genuinely did not know if anyone would read it. But I wrote it anyway. And so that's because it, I believed it mattered and I thought this is something that is valuable to me, right? And so if 5,000 people read it or 2,000 people read it, that's good enough. Yeah. And we were this book sold almost 5,000 5, copies in the first week. I had no idea that that would happen, right? And so I just want people to start showing up to their lives without permission. Here's your permission. You show up to your life And you do the things you feel called uniquely to do. And you do the work regardless if anybody even notices whether you're doing the work. And I really genuinely believe something changes in you in that process. And it's valuable. And I think it's more valuable than having accolades. Are you like, that doesn't mean anything. Really. I say integrity over everything. And I think we develop integrity when it's not our turn.
0: Mm-hmm. Talk, talk to me more up and, like, impacting, like, the difference that you've seen in yourself from, oh. from from continuing to persevere and continuing to give, you know, the best effort that you can, even whenever you're not seeing the results. Because, like, that's where we've, we all find ourselves there at one point or another in life, maybe multiple times in life.
1: <laughs> you're going to make me cry. I, it's hard for me to even go back to those places because I, I remember... You know, I think it starts off, and you feel so depressed. I just remember being, you know, because you feel like you're pouring everything in, and nobody cares, right? And that's a. I can say it now, but at the time, that was a very difficult season of life, and it went on and on and on and on. Um, and what changed in me, I think, is I just got so much better at everything that I. Like, we had this blog, me and my best friend, called "I'm That Wife" that we started doing because I was a stay-at-home mom. I was teaching a couple classes, but I was only adjuncting and then I was raising my kids and she was a stay-at-home mom. And when we started blogging for I'm That Wife, we had... I can remember like hitting a 1,000 followers and being like, oh my goodness, there's a 1,000 followers. Um, but I don't know how many people were reading those pieces. And we blogged definitely every single week, sometimes twice a week. For three years, and at the end of three years, we were at nine thousand followers, which to some people sounds like a lot. It didn't. I'm an Enneagram three, so for me, it didn't feel like a lot. Only because I was clicking on my Instagram or clicking on Facebook, and I saw other people with fifty thousand followers, a hundred thousand followers, and I felt like, you know, <laughs> inside, I said, "This isn't even as good of content as we are putting out," and yet feels like nobody really cares. And I was ready to quit. And I said to my my best friend, Scarlett Longstreet, I said, I don't want to do this anymore because I feel like we are pouring everything in. It's been three years and we're only, we're not even at 10,000 people. And she said, I hear you and I feel that, but can we give this like two more weeks? And so I said, okay, I can do two more weeks. And this is, by the way, why I think it's incredibly important to have a partner In that two weeks, I kid you not, we had our first viral meme. If if anybody in here is interested in social media, they always tell you post memes. And I was like, but I'm a writer. I'm not going to do memes. And it was the meme that changed the trajectory for us. We went from 9,000 people to 20,000 people in 24 hours. And today we're at over 200,000 women online. And I was probably two weeks from quitting. And had I not had a partner, I would have shut down. And so I just want everyone to know that like your turn truly could be right around the corner. And I think, I do think sometimes, this maybe isn't true for everybody, because I think some of us will never see the fulfillment of the things, the dreams that we have, right? That's just the reality. But how do you know? And that, and for me, that how do I know is enough for me to keep getting up and keep going and say, this is worth it for 10 people. And especially when you're talking about online, one of my good friends, he's a YouTuber, Justin Koo, he always says, Heather, if you post a video and there's 10 views, you might be discouraged. He's like, but if you said to your friends, if you call everybody you knew and you said, I'm going to be speaking and showing some creative content I put out, come over at this time, and 10 people came, you would say, success. And something happens when we get online and we think it doesn't matter anymore unless it's a hundred thousand. But the reality is you would be excited for 20 people to show up to your house for a party. And so how do we change our mentality so we're not so so stuck on this instant gratification?
0: Yeah, that's really good. Uh, I guess kind of, kind of along those lines, you know... Um, we've probably all reached the point to where you were saying like you have the 9000 and it's like okay is this and you start questioning like is it yeah. worth is it worth doing or not um what have you learned about what helps you keep dreaming when it's like i've been like i've been dreaming and <laughs> like nothing ain't happening with this yeah. dream and it's like i feel like you know and then like maybe another dream starts and it's like okay do i do I pursue that do I go after this dream? I've been waiting a long time like just all of that stuff? What have you learned about like just handling that tension and not letting like your your imagination or your ability to dream die while you're waiting for while you're waiting for your turn?
1: I think it's really important that you pay attention to the messages that you're getting from your audience. And I'm really bad at that. And it's something that in the last year I'm trying to stop. And if somebody takes the time to write me an email or to send me a DM or to send a letter to my home, I want to receive that and really sit in it. And if it matters to them, if if it matters so much that people to get, take the energy to actually write, I think you need to pay attention to that. Hmm. I would say that's true across the board for anybody. It takes, I mean, how many things do you consume that, that you're not writing anybody, even if you're like, oh my gosh, I love it. Right. But when do you ever actually sit down and say, no, I want to tell them what this meant to me. So if you are getting that, I would say fairly consistently, keep your hand on the plow because something will turn. People are receiving it.
0: That's good. You, you had mentioned, you know, just as you were telling about uh, your story about the importance of, you know, saying it's not my turn out loud. Can you unpack yeah. that a little bit more?
1: Yeah. So as a communication person, I'm, I did my um, dissertation on storytelling. And so some of that drove, I started reading a ton of neuroscience research into how stories actually change our brain. And so the stories we tell ourselves matter. And, and this is way more fleshed out in the book, but essentially there's this part in the book where I talk about if you just see two letters, N O, it releases dozens of stress producing hormones and neurotransmitters just by seeing the word no. And then what do you think happens when you say it, Mm. right? Your brain, your brain can't distinguish the difference between fact and fantasy. Once you say it out loud for your brain, it doesn't know that you're being dramatic. Your brain treats every threat as if it's a real credible threat and it becomes as real as the ground you're standing on. So the question I want everybody to start asking themselves is what am I, what ground am I standing on? And I, as I drove into where I was telling you before we got on here, I'm, I just moved. I haven't found a house yet. Um, I, we moved for my job. So my husband hasn't found a job yet. And I am just feeling like right now. And I just had to say out loud over and over, I am not going to stay in this season. There, there is something coming. There is a home for me. And I'm going to love it. My kids are going to love it. And my husband has a career here. And he's, I say things out loud because I know what it does to my brain. And you know what? It All of a sudden, those stress-producing hormones and neurotransmitters reduce. It matters. And so saying it's not your turn, I said it because it kind of, there was like this metaphorical yet for me mm-hmm. where, Heather, it's not your turn. And then it was like, well, and that's Okay. It, can't, it shouldn't always be your turn. That's not good for your character. It is really good for you to know what it feels like to have doors slammed in your face. I think that is a great thing. And so I, and now I literally say out loud, and again, this changes mindset. I say, what is there to, for me to learn here that I could only learn here?
0: Yeah. <clears throat> go Go back to, you know, you said that it's a good thing whenever it can't be your turn, which is like the complete opposite of what we tell ourselves. With it, Because I feel like we always want it to be our turn. Uh, but talk to me more about it, it, that it's actually a good thing, that it's not oh, our turn all the time.
1: Oh, man. I, I talk about this in the book. I have a chapter in there on power. I think power, I mean, power is a drug that should have a warning label. And it actually, there are physical changes in the brain that happens when you have power. I don't want that. <laughs> I don't ever want to forget what it feels like. To have somebody drop diapers off on my doorstep. Mm-hmm. My God, I want to know what that felt like. And I, at this point, I don't want to stay there, but at this point, I am grateful for those experiences because it's caused, it has absolutely changed the type of person I am. And I notice people. And if I am experiencing some type of financial blessing, I look for ways that I can create opportunity and turn. So that's another part of the book it really should be part two. Um, but once it is your turn, how are you creating turns for other people? To me, it, there is always a responsibility that comes with it being your turn. When you get to where you're going, go back for the people who are still where you came from. Hmm. I'm passionate about that. And for me, that, that means serving my students as a, as a professor. But whatever that looks like for you, how do you go back? And bless people with the opportunities that you've been given. But I just think you're not gonna even think like that unless you know what it feels like to feel stuck and to feel broken and forgotten. Yeah. Nobody should stay there. But we like we know when it comes to friendships, a healthy person with a healthy worldview and a healthy cognitive structure has critics and affirmation. You need both. You can't have only affirmation. You won't see clearly. Looking glass self says you will only see what you're, what the people around you tell you you are, essentially. Um, so it's the same thing in life. Only good experiences is not probably healthy for how you'll view the world. You'll think everything's supposed... Ease is actually, I think, a deterrent to character. Mm-hmm. Right? Grit yeah. is people who have had some doors slammed on their fingers. Yeah, and it just makes you a kinder, more compassionate person. I think if you let it.
0: Yeah. Just as uh, you're talking, you're sparking so many ideas and questions in me. And one of the things that it made me think about is uh, going back to you saying, like, "Hey, there there's a time for your blog to where you only had nine thousand people, and it, it's the it's we're, we're all guilty of it. We look to like, well, it can't be my turn right now because it's not, you know, X, Y, and Z, or how I thought it to be." Um, and that keeps us from giving other people turns on our on our things. What has helped you be at like learn to be at peace with where you're at and and maybe maybe be like, okay, so it may not be the turn that I wish it was, but it can like I can still use I can still use this as you were talking about earlier to give another person a return or be responsible with the things that I've been given.
1: Well, I'm a deep person of faith. And so That is absolutely how I've had to learn to have peace because for me, I believe that God is in control of my life. And so therefore I can rest even in a space I don't want to be in because I say, okay, there's probably something for me here. And so how do I walk and how do I be faithful and how do I serve right here? An example, I think I talk about this in the book. If not, I can just say it here. An example of how this actually, you asked earlier, like how did you see it change your personality? I was going to teach a class and I had just had this conversation with my friend Tassiana at lunch, um, where she said, Heather, your life doesn't start at some metaphorical there because you're alive right now. <laughs> start living right here. And I, I got goosebumps as so she said it. And I just said, I've got to change. I had actually, it was for this book. I had just gotten a rejection letter for this very book that I just be- I really thought was going to matter. I, I thought I'd at least get a, a publishing deal for it. And I wasn't getting one. I had been rejected. I don't even know how many times anymore. Definitely over five, maybe close to 10. But I had just gotten one where somebody had reached out to me on Twitter to see if I was working any projects. So I thought, this is it, right? I, this, it's my turn. And then they rejected it, this very book. And I'm sitting with her and she, and I was telling her this stuff. I said, I just, I wrote this book and I really thought it was going to be something. And she was like, guess what? You live right here in the rejection, you show up. And so I went to go teach a class and I, it was a class after lunch and I got there and there's probably five students, their heads are on their desks. You can tell nobody wants to be there. And I think had I not just had this conversation with her, I would have just been like, let me tell them whatever they need. And I'm not in a good place. I just got a rejection letter and just let, you know, let them go. And I didn't, I said, no, my life starts here and I'm going to teach this class as if it's the most important thing I'm ever going to do. And so I did. I just, I started teaching that class. Like it went like I was at a stage in front of 5,000 people. I said, I'm gonna teach this class as if it matters. And afterwards, this girl said, can I see you in your office? And it's not a student that had ever talked to me before. And I can't even, I just remember she said something like, thank you so much because something you said is the answer to something I've been thinking about, about where I wanted to go after graduation. And I don't even remember what I said. But I just, I walked out of that meeting with her saying, What if I had just phoned it in? I I wouldn't have served my students in the way I could have been serving them. And so I started teaching every class that way. And I still do right now. And I try to enter every single podcast interview with that same mentality of this is the most important thing. You, You are sitting down with Joe Rogan right now. That's what I do mentally because it matters because you don't know who's listening, right? But they matter. And when you show up that way, I'm saying, even with the blog, I just remember blogging and like thinking, this could be the one that goes viral, which gets exhausting. And they never were, but this could be the one. But it changed how I write. Hmm. And I really believe those 12 rejections I got for It's Not Your Turn is why this book I think is so good. I think it's the best book I've ever written. And it's because I've been rejected so much. So I fought for it. There was never like every page of this book, I was fighting saying like, this is going to matter. And I don't, at ease, I think would have robbed me of learning how to put my best foot forward in every single situation. Mm-hmm.
0: What helps you maintain that mindset or get into that mindset? Because like, we all have tough days to where it's like, yeah. I do not want to, I mean, just what, just what you were saying with that student, you did not want to show up and be, you know, the best Heather that you could be that day. And yet what, what helps you do that?
1: Um, I think it's just caring about the other person. And again, the self-talk that I do before I step into any room. Mm -hmm. And it's like, yeah, your your everything that you give may look like less depending on what season of life you're in, but that doesn't mean that you're not giving your best. And to me, that's what I'm talking about. It's not always going to look the same because of course we go through hard things that maybe your best is typically, you know, a lot better than what you're doing right now. But I just want for myself to say, I respect the people I'm with and I want to respect their time. Mm-hmm. And I want to do whatever I can to be helpful and useful to their season as well. So if a student comes in my office, I'm not on my phone. My phone is way across the desk. And I look at them and I'm like, I'm, you got me. I'm here. 30 minutes, 45 minutes. The most important thing I'm ever going to do is have a conversation with you, sis. So let's talk about your boyfriend it's fine. I'm here. And it's been, and you want to know what happens. And this is the honest to God truth. At some point, my perception started to shift in that because I kept getting, I started to get cards all the time from students. I was always like a cool, fun teacher because I was younger. I started teaching at 24. So I always had like students who liked me, but this was different it started to be really like meaningful people saying, you changed my life. It's going to make me cry. Mm -hmm. And once you, for me as a mentor, I never had that. I never had a mentor see me as a young person and say like, you're special or "I, I want to hear you or I want to give you advice. I want to walk this journey with you these four years. I never had that. And so to give that to these young people who are so lost like I was, is such an honor. Like, I don't know. For me, it's like, there's no other option.
0: Yeah. Because
1: else, why am I here? And so then it's, it, it, I, I just came to a point where I said to God, like, if the greatest thing I ever do is teach these classes, thank you. What an honor that I have the opportunity to sit with 200 young people every year. What an honor. If nothing, if I never have a best selling book, and I can say that in all sincerity, if I never have a best-selling book, I don't care because I know I lived my life as if it was my turn every single day. And that has changed me and it's good enough. And I see the fruit because young people reach out to me all the time. So I want people to find that for themselves. And I know all of our jobs and lives, I'm a realtor. I'm looking for a house right now. I have such a good realtor. And I, I, like, I emailed him the other day. I was like, this is the one. I found one. It, it actually wasn't the one, but I'm very dramatic. So I emailed him. I said, this is the one because I thought it was at 1 a.m. And he wrote me right back at 1 a.m. I didn't text him. I did it to an email. And he was like, hey, I'm going to set this up. We're going to go see it tomorrow. And he, his personality has just been so calming and wonderful. I'm like, wow, Like there is there is like compassion to be given and work to be done and service to be given, no matter what your job is. He's a realtor. And he is absolutely impacting how I feel about my move and my transition. So I I just, I don't buy that we don't all have those opportunities to make an impact. I think everybody does, no matter what you do. If you were to go to the car shop right here in this town I'm in, it's filled with thank you cards from students who have no money. And these, these, the guys, the mechanics here are doing whatever they can to help get these cars fixed on a budget. What a service. There's always a place for us to make an impact in somebody else's life.
0: Yeah. It uh it it makes me think of, you know, you have this quote from uh one of your mentors in there, uh from from Jose Reyes or Rojas. And, you know, he says, or he told you, you know, what if you'll actually get to where you want to be quicker by slowing down? Which again, yeah, that's just a whole other counterintuitive thing.
1: Oh, he's so good. he's like talking to Yoda. I mean, every conversation and he like talks very um like mystical almost. It's like every conversation I walk away, like, whoa, what just happened?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was going to say, and it just makes me think of like, if you're moving so fast, you don't get to have those conversations that you're talking about wow. right there.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, what has, what has surprised you the most maybe about the whole waiting process or waiting for your turn?
1: You know, I know, and this is probably not the answer people want to hear. I think what has shocked me the most is that you don't graduate from it. Mm-hmm. I think I had this idea that I would reach a level in my career where I'm done with that. Yeah. <laughs> and now everything is happy and fabulous and I haven't graduated. So it, what, what ends up happening, and I want everyone to understand this, is when you get to wherever you think you should be, you just start moving the goalposts and you want more. And you say, well, now my eyes are, because what happens is you start sitting in different rooms and the people around you seem so much further now than where you are. And you couldn't have fathomed to even be here. But now your goalposts move and you're like, well, how do I I get there? So it just doesn't stop. And so that's why we have to find happiness within ourselves. Without, it, it, we have to figure out how do I find happiness in this journey? Because if you're looking for a destination, now I'll be, now everything's going to be perfect. I'm I'm telling you, I, it could be just me. I only have my own anecdotal experience to go from, but for me, I haven't found that. So stop looking at the destination and start saying, how do I start living a life that's fulfilling right here? And that will carry you through all the destinations that you go through. But I'm also a Three. Right, so maybe some other enneagram <laughs> numbers do this a lot better, and they are able to receive. They're like, oh, "Okay, now I'm great." For me, it hasn't been that way.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say my my story is very similar in that too. And being an enneagram three of just what you're talking about, learning um, learning to define success for yourself.
1: Yes. and
0: and not giving into what other people like. Can you talk more about that of like the process that you've had to go through for learning? Like what's what success looks like for Heather.
1: Yeah, and I'm still a three. Yeah. <laughs> so I haven't graduated. Yeah. So I'm gonna say, like, I irritate people a lot. And I know that. That's why I try not to even talk to too many people about um, my own desires and things because if people find me annoying, I think. Because in you know, people I think would look, I've had a lot of people say, It's your turn now. And my mind I'm like, hmm, it doesn't feel like it because I'm not on the New York Times bestsellers list. And that's really that is like my ultimate goal, but since I was a child. I've always wanted to be a writer. I mean, I remember just like five, six years old. I wanted to be a writer. And for whatever reason, this New York Times bestsellers list has always been on my mind. So that is probably my ultimate goal that I will say, okay, you've you've made the metaphorical it. Mm -hmm. How have I changed that? And I haven't, I don't think fully, because it's there, it's in the back of my mind. But I actively try to pursue fulfillment in other ways. So I was in a meeting with a publisher recently and they said, um, what would be where you say this this book is successful? And I said, and I genuinely mean this, I said, if somebody reads it and they feel like they have to buy a copy for someone else, it's successful. And something I've heard about this book that I, I want to really take it in and I'm doing better, but I am still who I am. I am doing better at doing that is I've had so many people say they read it twice. And I can't, I've never, I didn't even know that was a thing. (laughs) And I have heard, I'm not kidding, almost like probably a hundred people have told me I did it once and then I read it again, or I did the audible and then I, I did the hard copy or I did the hard copy and then I did the audible and I'm like, wow, there, and people saying I bought it for a friend. So for me, that's successful, Hmm. right? Like if that's all that ever happens and it never hits the New York Times bestsellers list, Heather, was this worth it? 100%. So you have to ask yourself, what does that look like for you? Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: I have one other thing that I want to ask you about, and I know that there's a ton of stuff that we could continue to talk about all throughout the book, uh, but this, is there anything that just comes to mind right now to where you're like, uh, that you want to make sure that we cover about the book that we haven't talked about yet?
1: Oh yeah. Um, I love making sure I say this. Um, sometimes it's not your turn and it's not your fault.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think that we have this idea in success in society, at least in Western culture where it's like, if you just work hard enough, all these different things will happen for you. And I just don't think that that's always true. Yeah. So sometimes it's not your turn and it's not, it doesn't mean that you're doing anything wrong. Um, I, depending on what that turn is, right? Like I talk in the book about a good friend of mine who we were praying for 10 years to find a partner. And that wasn't her fault. Like, I don't think there was some lesson for her to learn in singleness that this is why you're still single. I don't think so. Like, I just think some guys made some crappy decisions and looked over her who shouldn't have and their loss, right? So sometimes it has nothing to do with you. And I just want to liberate people from that but that doesn't mean that we can't show up even here. And so that's really what my point is, is how do we keep living our lives? It's even when it's not our turn, but here's what, it's always your turn to show up. It is always your turn to practice integrity. It is always your turn to develop strategies of compassion, right? It's always your turn for that. And are you going, in in her example, are, is that going to make you a better person for when you find your partner? Absolutely. And actually, can I just tell this really quickly? Yeah. In her example, this is this is kind of redemptive, I think. In her example, 10 years being single. So she um, does some mission work. She was building a school in Zimbabwe. And she went to Zimbabwe to check out the school and how things were going. And the one thing that the girls kept saying to her in a totally different culture that is very male patriarchy dominated, they said, how are you a woman and a principal and you're single, and you, you don't have a husband, like, how did you even travel here without a husband? Like, they couldn't fathom that type of independence of her living her life as a single woman. And then she realized, like, they were so, like, thrilled that that was even possible for them. Mm-hmm. And that was really special for her. Yeah. And she would tell you, like, I would do, I would live all those years single again, if it meant that this is a representation for these women over here. That there is possibilities for you outside of getting married. Mm-hmm. What an honor to be that representative. You know what I mean? So yeah. we have to keep showing up.
0: Yeah. What you were you were saying, you know, you talked about uh when we're waiting, we can tend to look for like, well, what is, you know, for, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, you know, what is God trying to teach me right now? And sometimes it ain't clear for right. it. I was gonna say, would you mind just like, you you hinted at it a little bit. Can you just mind talking about just that dynamic? Because, like, we don't know what the what the lesson is, or even if there is a lesson. Would you mind just talking a little bit more just about yeah, that?
1: Yeah, and I think that that's something that we see in Scripture all the time. So I think there's a difference between God causing and God allowing, right? And I think either way, He won't waste it. So God, I don't believe causes everything that happens. I think he allows, and I believe in free will. And so we have choices to make. And I can't say that every single situation that somebody finds themselves in is because God has caused that situation. Like I just using my friend Bimbo as an example, I really think, and she's with somebody now and they're probably getting married. He's, um, in the military so as soon as he finishes his duty right now they're going to get married i mean they are he is a wonderful man and she would have waited for him 10 more years i'm not just making that up he is an incredible man but i don't think it was her that we were waiting on i think it was him and that's what i'm saying sometimes it's not your turn and it's not your fault and i think that there's tons of examples in scripture where we see that lived out where the people i mean hello jesus <laughs> Jesus goes through cities and says, I can't even do, because of your lack of faith, I can't even do what I want to do here. It, it wasn't Jesus' turn. Was that Jesus' fault? Get out of here, right? Like there are other dynamics always at play. And so how do we learn how to just keep showing up ourselves with integrity, despite what the people around us do?
0: Man, that's so good. Uh, the last thing, uh, you you end the book in such a powerful way. Uh, with talking about it, maybe, and I just want to read uh, a quote from you that really stood out to me. From me, I would just love uh, your take and just any final thoughts then, uh, just about uh, it's not your turn. You know, you say at some point I just decided that there would be no guarantee outside of maybe, maybe this could work, maybe this could be something, maybe I'm not crazy. Sometimes you just have to move on. Maybe,
1: yeah, Um, and that's what I mean about just showing up. And for me, it looked like writing that book. Yeah, maybe I would never get a deal, but I'm not going to know until I try. And I'm, I am I recognize that I'm an optimist. I have friends that are like totally the opposite. And so you know what I say to them? I say, well, I'll believe it for you. If you can't believe it, I want you to know that there's somebody who sees you and hears you and is saying, I believe this for you and I see it for you. And that's important with my friend, Bimbo. I said it to her all the time. Like, I see you married and happy. I see it. And so if you, if it hurts too much for you to even say that out loud right now, you don't worry about it. And I'll keep praying it for you because I believe it. Um, Yeah. Move on. Maybe look for outside people. I don't want anyone to like waste things that it, it's not actually your gift because sometimes people do that. So I'm, that's not what I'm talking about. If there are other people confirming this for you. And it doesn't have to be like everywhere you go. But if there's somebody else who says, no, this is really good. Or no, I really see this for you. I say, pay attention to that. And I would just rather die having tried than failed than having not tried. That's my personal perspective. Just like I would rather die hoping than having said I quit. I would rather carry the burden of hope. And I know hope can be a very painful thing to keep lifting. I've been there. Um, and so I'll have days where I'm like, I don't even care anymore, you know, and I'll, I'll sit in that for a couple days. And then I'm like, okay, well, here we go again. I, I just think it is more authentic to who I am to live with hope. And so if other people around you, if you are like me, great. I think it's easier for us. And then how can you encourage the people around you who it's not that way for them? And if, of course, like, there's privilege, I think, that comes with that. I've had really loving parents. I, I grew up in a household that was surrounded by love. Um, so I think that changes how I see the outside world. There are some people that did not, like the very first people who should have taken care of them didn't. And so hope, like, that's hard. Trust, huh? You know, so how can we, who maybe had those privileges, help share that with other people and be a person of support and trust and encouragement for them? It matters.
0: That's so good. Well, Heather, I know that people are going to want to pick up your book. It's not your turn and continue to keep up with you, you know, online and everywhere. Where's the best place for people to go to get the book and just keep up with you?
1: Yeah. So the book is sold anywhere. You can get it on Target, you can get it at Walmart, you can get it on Amazon um, or on my website, Heather Thompson Day.com. And you can find all my social channels on Heather Thompson Day.com as well.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. And thanks for just doing the work and just sharing. Um, just this very important idea, just with all of us.
1: Well, thanks for inviting me, Caleb. It was fun.
0: I think coming out of my conversation with Heather and from my reading for the book, there's two things that really stood out in particular to me uh, that that were some of my takeaways. And the first one is something that she said uh, towards the end of it. And it's that it may not be your turn and that's not your fault. And I think that's something that we we tend to struggle with, that we think that if we do X, then Y should happen. If we do all of the right things, then uh, we should get what we want. And it's especially difficult, I think, whenever it concerns the church as well, because if you, if you filter it through, if you start to think about it, uh, that is the prosperity gospel, that if you do X, then Y will happen. And the reality is, and as Heather and I talked about it, and as she you know, eloquently talks about so well in the book, we are not in complete control of our lives, that we don't control the outcomes of what happens to us. And whenever we do believe that we can control everything that happens to us, it leads to at least a couple of different responses. And one of the ones that I think about is it can lead to a lot of shame. And that because we think that something is wrong with us because we aren't getting what we had hoped for, we aren't, our dreams aren't aren't coming true or they're not happening as fast as what they think, and so we start to internalize that, and we start to tell ourselves, well, and we start looking around and we see how everybody else maybe looks like they're getting the things that they want, and we aren't. And we start to believe things about ourselves that aren't true, and that maybe we're, that we're not a great leader, that we're not a great person, that we're that we could be, you know, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we're not as good a follower of Jesus as maybe other people are. And I think the other response can be that it leads us to anger as well, because we double down and we try to get what we want. And we work we work harder, we try harder, we try to do more, and, uh, and whenever people aren't responding the way that we want them to, then it leads us to be angry with them. Why aren't you working as hard as we are, as I am? Why aren't you living up to the standard of which I am? Because I've set this standard. Why aren't you doing that either? And it leads us to judging other people as well for maybe not working as hard as, as we are. And that's not a helpful response either. And so I think part of the thing that I've been learning recently is just what it means to be content and be at peace with the things that are inside of my control and being okay with my limits and what's not inside of my control and recognizing that the things that I can do and recognizing what I can't and learning to be comfortable with both of those things. And that's not an easy process. And that's a lot more uh, <laughs> that I, <laughs> there's a lot more there than I can uh, talk about, you know, at the, at the end of the segment and everything. Uh, so maybe we'll come around to that another day. But the second thing is, is just the idea of acting on maybe. and And this kind of goes back to, we can't control the outcomes. We're never going to get a 100% response rate or 100% certainty rate in that. And sometimes the best thing that we can do is act on maybe. And I know why we want the certainty because we we want to be sure and we don't want to be rejected. And whenever it's not 100%, that makes us vulnerable to the things that could happen. And it just makes me think of Brene Brown's great work of being in the arena and choosing to be vulnerable and choosing choosing to choosing to realize that vulnerability and love go hand in hand together that they're not mutually exclusive i love how cs lewis has this quote that uh, is probably it's i'll say that it's probably my favorite quote and it's just the idea of to love is to be vulnerable and that you can't have one without the other and that it's worth pursuing. It's just part of the thing. It's part of part of the deal with it. That if you want to love well, you have to learn to be vulnerable. And I would say if you want to, like, if you want to live the life that uh, that you want to live, it requires vulnerability. And I would say, you know, for for me personally, if you want to, if you want to live the life that that Jesus has for you, it requires vulnerability as well. And so that's some of the things that I'm thinking about in terms of this. So, yeah. Uh, If you enjoyed this episode, if you enjoyed my conversation with Heather, don't forget that we've linked to some previous conversations with Heather. And also, check out her book, It's Not Your Turn, What to Do While You're Waiting for Your Breakthrough. Highly recommend it. It's a great book. And if you enjoyed the podcast, leave a rating, write a review, subscribe, follow on whatever podcast player you're using. I would greatly appreciate it. It would mean a ton if you did that. And yeah, we're just going to keep uh, hanging out here and having difficult conversations and continuing to learn from people and continuing to grow with other people as well. If you have uh, a subject or something that you would like us to talk about or someone, or someone that you would like us to talk about on the podcast. The best way to reach out to me is through the Learner's Corner podcast at Gmail email address. I would love to hear from you and any guests or ideas that you might have or want us to talk about on the podcast. I want to say thank you to Garrett Oler, who does the editing for the podcast, and thanks to Sam Massey for providing the music to the podcast. Uh, thanks again to Heather for being on the podcast, and thank you for listening all the way to the end of the episode. My name is Kayla Mason. I think that's all that I have from you or have for you today. So until next time, keep learning and keep growing.